0: Hey, buddy lawyers, welcome to the podcast. Today we have advocate Abhiru Bangara
1: with us. Hi, Abhiru. Hi, Prasanna. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast and your uh, channel. It's a real honor and privilege to be here. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Same, here Abhiru. I actually like having such conversations with young lawyers, So, and you are one of them, so it's good to have you <laughs> here. Uh, okay. Thanks so much. Yeah, so Abhirup is an advocate practicing before the trial courts and High Court of Karnataka. He has completed his Master's of Laws, that is LLM in International Law from the New York University School of Law. In past, he has also worked as an academic associate in the Center for Public Policy at IIM Bangalore, where his research work was focused on history and evolution of Indian constitution and constitutionalism in India. In this episode, we'll be talking about his diverse experiences and especially about his work in I am Bangalore. So uh, let's start Abhirup, uh, you have completed your LLM from New York University. Usually people who go abroad for further studies, either they settle there permanently or they work there for a few years at least to cover up their expenses and loans, etc. So why did you choose to come back to India? Uh,
1: thanks Prasanna. So, um... I was very clear going into the LLM itself that I wanted to return to India once the program was done. Uh, I never really intended to be there, even while uh, I was applying. And uh, also, if you while you're applying and when you go through the uh, application forms, uh, a lot of universities caution you about uh, trying to use that as a pathway to get an empl- get employment there. While it is possible, it isn't necessarily the norm. It's not something that is a given. You may not always find a job. Uh, But that aside, I was also not keen on staying back uh, in a different country and working there because I really felt that the purpose of me going was to develop my skills and to return to India and contribute in some manner. Which is why, uh, in fact, I think I left the US maybe about a day or two after my graduation. I didn't even stay back there too long after. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Yeah, So, in fact, you have an option to sort of apply for uh, the extension of visa sometime around the beginning of your second semester, at least in the U.S. I'm not sure how it works in other countries. Hmm. But uh, in the U.S., you get that option to extend your visa sometime around uh, Jan or Feb. Uh, But I didn't even do that because I was very clear that I wanted to return as soon as the program ended. Um, And these countries, especially in the West, where people tend to go for their higher studies, they already have the uh, intellectual and even monetary resources to manage their affairs pretty well. Um, They don't really need, whereas in a country like India, there's so much to be done. I mean, if all of us look around, there's a lot for all of us to do and contribute uh, to our country, which is why I felt, yeah, I really wanted to come back and contribute here.
0: Yeah, and also in most of these countries, like you are not allowed to stay for long after you complete your graduation if you don't have a job, right?
1: That's true. I think in the US, uh, you get uh, a couple of months, maybe five or six months. If I'm not wrong, I don't exactly remember. Within which you have to find some sort of employment. Then that extends for maybe a year. And by the end of that year, your employer should... uh, uh, either sponsor your uh, H-1B visa or, you uh, know, they have to just sponsor your H-1B visa. There is no choice. And if they don't, then you have to uh, return. So that's right. You're right. You, need, you do need to have some sort of employment. You can't just hang around there.
0: Okay. So let's move ahead now. And uh, you started working at IIM Bangalore as an academic associate after coming here at its public policy center. Can you tell us more about CPP at IIM?
1: So that's right. I did get, um, uh, that was my first job as soon as I returned. I was an academic associate at uh, the Center for Public Policy at IMB. Uh, The Center of Public Policy was a new addition to the Indian Institute of Management uh, in Bangalore. So the whole purpose and uh, reason behind having an Institute for Public Policy is the institution at some level felt that business wasn't operating in this vacuum uh, businesses and companies op- operate in um, in society they are there they, they are here to provide their services and sell their products to people who are in society and there is a definite relationship between how businesses interact with society the impact they have on society and vice versa as well so there was a need felt to sort of um, understand how businesses could be more, uh, uh, more responsible. If I could use that word, uh, uh, uh use that word be, to be more responsible, me, be, be more contributive to society and not just be there to sell their products or services and make profit, but to also do a little more. Um, yeah. And, and public, in fact,
0: public policy is the sector where you can't, you know, uh, be very, uh, if I may use the word capitalistic, (laughs) or something like that, the sector itself uh, uh, has that uh, sense that if you don't have that feeling, you can't work
1: there, right? That's very true. That's very true. And you see this a lot in uh, maybe some businesses who are not as environmentally conscious, for example, that's just one example, where, uh, you know, they may extract a lot of resources from from the environment they may pollute the in a, in a, in a not uh, in a not so sustainable way or they may pollute the environment through their activities this is one aspect of it or maybe it could also involve the acquisition of land you know where which involves displacement of local communities that's another issue Because maybe setting up a factory or things like that so businesses don't operate in, the, in a vacuum they are here and uh, uh, are very much part of society. They function in society and this institute was this portion of the institute was uh, uh, started to sort of help understand that interplay mm. and the role, the true and larger role businesses have to play in society. Yeah. So what was your work profile there? And I mean, what was the daily schedule? So I was an academic associate uh, at the at IMB. Uh I was you are primarily attached to a professor there and you uh, you can assist him or her in his or her projects and uh, their research activities and also in the conduct of their classes so the pri- i was attached to professor deepak malgan and uh, professor malgan was taking a course called business government and society in iimb for the for, uh, bgp now it's the mba students Mm -hmm. And uh, my role was to, one was to assist with his research uh, uh, with whatever projects he had going. Then two was to also assist in the preparation of the class and the courses that the students were taking. That is the course that he was taking for them. Uh, That could involve maybe uploading um, uh, course material, just reading and uploading course material onto the platform for students to access. Uh, maybe preparing short, brief notes for uh, the class, uh, um, things like that. And uh, he, Professor Malgan, also encouraged me to do my own independent uh, thinking and research as well. So uh, that was also something that I was, uh, I had the time to do while at IIMB. So what was that like regarding, what topic was it? So I was um, primarily focusing on the role of minority communities in India in pre and post independent india mm-hmm. and uh, how they especially the muslim community how they contributed to the freedom struggle uh, how the laws were shaped for them even before independence and even after them what impact laws had on their social lives um, that was primarily my focus of research
0: yeah interesting topic maybe we can have another podcast on that yeah yeah <laughs> okay so, uh, I'm sure, uh, your main research work was, uh, based on constitution and constitutionalism, but you learned about public policy in general too there. Right. So can you uh, tell us, tell our listeners what public
1: policy means? Like in a layman's term. So public policy in very simple terms is the course of action, which the state perhaps wants to nudge its uh, its people towards, through the form of maybe legislation or enacting some rules or, uh, or things like that. That's how it manifests itself. But uh, this is in a very simple way what public policy is. So you have the state which is trying to guide social conduct in a particular way. And it does that, it has these particular goals which it wants to achieve. And it does that through, Uh, the scheme of public policy. For example, you can go as far back as even pre-independent India when the British were here uh, to things like the Prohibition of Sati Act. So Hmm. you have a a, a sort of goal that the state wanted to achieve and uh, this was in line with its understanding of what public policy is. It felt that it was not proper that uh, this particular activity was uh, going on in society. And then that manifested itself in maybe a legislation in this case to prohibit that um, or to control that that activity or that conduct. So yeah. th- this is very simple way what uh, public policy really is.
0: So can I say that public policy is nothing but solving a problem and how to do it, right? Precisely,
1: yeah. Hmm. Okay.
0: Were you inclined towards public policy from the beginning of your law school or... What built your interest in this work i feel as uh,
1: feel like as young lawyers uh, we're very uh, intricately involved in various aspects of public policy, whether we know it or not that's i feel just the nature of law you uh, a lot of laws may be public policy agnostic if I can use that term, but most of them are also. There, because they are uh, a manifestation, again, like I said, of some sort of course of action the government wants to take to solve a particular problem. So when we are engaged in the practice of law, it's very hard for us to remove ourselves from different facets of public policy, which are necessarily involved in the practice of law. So uh, as a young lawyer, or even as a lawyer generally, you necessarily are involved in this activity where you are engaged in understanding why a particular law is there in the first place. What uh, made the parliament or whichever legislative body come up with that law in the first place? Why, what, what was it that they were trying to achieve through the enactment of that law? Um, so when you're thinking about all these questions through your practice of the law in your, in your cases, in your office or uh, wherever you're practicing, you would necessarily have to ask these questions to yourself so in order to understand the larger scheme of things and how this plays out in the real world i was i did want to know how these things happen and what goes into thinking about uh, what kind of questions are thought about before particular laws is enacted or or uh, it, and when i say law i don't mean it in the strict sense just you know an act of parliament or an act of a state legislature it could manifest itself in other ways also uh, maybe some sort of It could just be a plain policy paper which a department puts out uh, which nudges other institutions of government to act in a particular way. Uh, It could even be delegated legislation, rules, you know, regulations which flow from uh, another statute and things like that.
0: Yeah. And I think uh, most of the like, uh, not most, but many lawyers don't focus on these things. They usually focus on the technicalities. Uh, and, uh, and the procedural part of the, you know, uh, of what happens in courts. So these things are more important, if I can say so, because what that law actually means, uh, then you can, you know, prepare your arguments on, based on that. That's why we had the subject called
1: interpretation of statutes, right? You're absolutely right. I agree with you completely because as you practice the law, it's very easy for you to just focus on that one particular case that you've got, you know, hmm. and miss the uh, uh, forest for the trees, so to say. You just you're focusing on that one. Okay, I've got that one particular case. Yeah, ah. I've got that one particular case. This is the client. Uh, this is the solution or the outcome the client wants, and I need to sort of work towards that, which is which is what a lawyer should do. But um, it's very easy when you're doing that or engaging in that exercise for you to lose sight of the larger picture,
0: hmm.
1: which can in many ways actually help your client to understand why why did that law come there in the first place? Exactly. You know What was the reason for uh, uh, the legislative body or the department or uh, whichever body to put that particular rule or that policy or that statute in place? There must be I, some I reason. Think-
0: yeah, and I think history comes uh, at this place, and th- even history plays an important role here. So, if you n- try to know the history behind that particular law, uh, that would be very helpful
1: for your case too, right? Precisely, the legislative history. What were the social circumstances around surrounding the uh, passage of that law? What was happening? Was there uh, were there protests? Were there revolts? Was there, were there public petitions? Uh, to different, uh, you know, maybe representatives of the, of the people to come out with a particular law or to solve a particular problem, a social problem. Yeah. Also, it, you, you don't even need to go that far back in terms of history. Even look at the situations or the circumstances surrounding the passage of the law as well, or the policy, uh, hmm. what debates happened, you know, what was said during the debates, what were the thoughts of different people uh, before the law was passed? Did they raise some questions? Did they raise some issues about the the law as it was framed? Did they raise certain concerns about uh, issues that the law was not addressing or that it was addressing which it didn't need to? Uh, So these are all things that we also need to look at. So history definitely plays a very important role to understand, uh, uh, you know, the purpose of a law. And again, like you rightly pointed out, if you look at statutory interpretation also, you at times we will have to look, go into the legislative history of the particular statute if you want to understand and interpret it correctly. Uh,
0: does any important case come to your mind when we are talking about this?
1: Yeah, I mean, at many times the court needs to look into um, you know the history of an enactment before it gets down to interpreting it. I can think of uh, uh, maybe some tax statutes, for example. Um there was this recent amendment to uh, the finance act maybe two years ago. It was about the payment of um, who gets to pay the share subs- the, the duty on shares uh, the trans- the duty on the transaction or sale of shares. Hmm. So that was amended and it was made uh, a particular uh, determinate person. I think if I remember correctly it was the buyer of shares. Hmm. So uh, again, I'm very. This is just very weak because I uh, was just reading about this recently. Uh, there was a reason why this hasn't come before the courts as yet, but there was a reason why it was amended to make could determine it, to determine the, the payer of these duties, because the uh, act as it stood before this didn't determine it. it. Said either party could pay it; whoever agreed to pay the duty. But then after this amendment. It determined who needs to pay the duty. So there was some reason. There, there are reasons. So if you look at the press notes that the ministry released, hmm. there was a. Re- they wanted to streamline this process. They wanted to reduce the ambiguity. They wanted to uh, identify the person who needs to pay these duties for. There to be easier identification of who from whom this the revenue needs to come to the state. This is a very uh, uh, maybe a mundane example. This isn't as uh, juicy as some other social issues that maybe we have. Hmm. But if you look at the press notes that the ministry put out, then you know you know the reasons why, why they wanted yeah. to make this change.
0: Yeah, yeah, got, it, got it. So, do you think uh, that lawyers must also uh, study, maybe uh, take up some courses on public policy, as it helps uh, while working on some of the cases, or most of the
1: cases? I think taking up courses in public policy are definitely helpful. Uh, they definitely under, help you uh, uh, orient yourself in a, a little better in terms of uh, not just yourself, also orient the laws you're studying a little better to understand yeah. where these laws came from, why they are there, uh, what are they there to solve or uh, what are they there to achieve. I mean, it, sometimes it's not necessarily to solve a problem. It could also be to achieve a particular goal. You like hmm. right. having to work A particular standard or a particular, for example, you can take environmental, uh, of course, environmental laws are also there to mitigate uh, the environmental damage we do, but it's also there to achieve a certain standard Hmm. that we aspire for to to live in a, to lead a comfortable life in a clean and healthy environment. Hmm.
0: Um,
1: So courses in this, in public policy are definitely helpful. They will definitely... Uh, help you situate yourself, or even take, for example, commercial laws. Also, uh, the, re- the thing that comes to my mind almost immediately is the Commercial Courts Act, which is a very recent uh, legislation, not more than five years old. Now, why did the uh, government feel like we needed a Commercial Courts Act? You know, why did they and one of the most important aspects of that of the Commercial Courts Act is that it made certain important changes to the CPC. You know, to okay. sort of huh. to sort of cut down on the time you spend in court for a suit. So, what was this problem that the government was seeking to control? One, which obviously comes to mind, is the long pendency of our suits. They're taking forever when they're in court. And when it comes to disputes of a commercial nature, you can't have these disputes just sitting in court and not going anywhere. Because that's not good for the country if you're not able to conduct business in a way Uh, which is expedient or business people feel that if a dispute arises and they have to go to court, it's going to languish there forever. So when the government comes out with this new legislation to sort of speed things up in the form of a commercial courts act, amend the CPC in certain ways in the act so that the procedure in court is a little more streamlined. It's a little faster. uh, It's a little more modern. uh, It's not uh, The CPC, as you know, is the 1908 legislation with, of course, various state amendments. But um, the Commercial Courts Act makes certain, it it embraces, you know, technology, it embraces the the year that we're in, the advancements that have happened in the last couple of years. Takes all of that into consideration to speed things up so that commercial disputes and disputes between uh, these business entities can be resolved quickly. So what is the aim of that? It's to just help smoothen the process and make it easier, smoother process and to make it easier to do business in India. You know, make India more business friendly. Do we want to improve ease of doing business rankings for example, in the world?
0: Hmm. So
1: this could be one aspect which the government was trying to achieve and uh, move towards, strive towards this and has enacted this. So when you as a lawyer are going to the commercial court, which is established under the which is uh, required to be established under the act, it would definitely in my mind be important for you to understand why this act even came. Hmm. Because if you go with your mindset of I am this is nothing different from the CPC, then you are also going to be part of that of that system that causes these unnecessary delays, which this act has sought to remove. So if you have understood why, what was the public policy? What was the reason behind this act coming into force? then you as a lawyer also can conduct your case in a manner that is befitting the reasons why that act came up came about
0: hmm mm-hmm. agree okay. and uh, the, the, these examples also tell us that how laws are uh, interconnected and having knowledge of multiple areas of laws will always help lawyers okay
1: no, definitely because if you want if you want our society to grow and you want people to increase their standard of living, improve their standard of living, improve their wealth, you need to have a, an environment that is easy for people to do business in. And this is one aspect. This may not be the only way where, you know, your business is uh, ease of doing business is improved, but this is uh, one way, a part of doing it. Uh, and we as lawyers who interact with these, with the system and our info and our uh, implement and our, uh, Practicing these laws, need to, it would be only in our best interest that we understand why these laws came about in the first place. Right.
0: So uh, do you know any professional courses on public policy and any best uh, kind of institutes which are offering it in India?
1: Yeah, so there are several. Uh, of course, IIMB has a Center for Public Policy where they have several public policy courses. The National Law School of India also has a, a, a public policy center. Which is uh, which is really good. Then, of course, there are various other universities. Also, I, I think the Ashoka where, where, where is it
0: this National Law School? Which one are you talking about?
1: Sorry, you know, the NLS IUB National Law School in Bangalore, National okay. Law School of India University, Bangalore, also has hmm. a Center for Public Policy. Um, that was also not originally env- envisaged in when the university was create was uh, created. Uh, when the NLS IUB was uh, created by statute. I think in the late 80s, it was just a law school. Yeah. Uh, I think the Center for Public Policy came about later, maybe after a, I'm not exactly sure when, but it was a a newer edition. And again, you can see why, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's felt that in a law school, this is only uh, natural that you also understand public policy. Uh, I'm not aware if courses are cross listed, that is, whether law school students can take courses in the center of a public policy at the National Law School. I am not entirely sure if that happens, but you can see the very fact that it has a center for public policy in the law school itself shows, you know, that this is something which lawyers should know. Likewise, in a business school, like IIMB, like I mentioned at the beginning of uh, our conversation, businesses also function in a way that is not at all removed from society. And in fact, it is completely entrenched in society. You know. Mm. So mm-hmm. having these instit- uh, these departments in these larger institutes only goes to show their importance in either the practice of law or in the conduct of business and things like that.
0: Okay. So did you de- do any such course uh, before applying for the job?
1: No, I didn't do a particular course in public policy. Uh, that's something I wish uh, I had taken a special. I didn't take a specialized course in public policy as such. It was just my understanding of, you know, through the practice of law, of how these things impact, um, you know, the, the various legislations or rules or policies that, you're, that you end up practicing in.
0: Okay. So uh, in law school, there are many extracurricular activities, uh, we all know, like moot courts and MUNs and all. So do you think any, do you, do you think of any extracurricular activity? Uh, which can help
1: law students learn more about public policy? Um, Internships for sure will help, if that counts as an extracurricular activity. Even maybe running internships, where you go to college for most part of the day, and then again, by the end of college, that is on the same day, Hmm. you uh, go to whichever institute you're interning in. Because these internships will really give you a great... uh, a window into seeing how um, or the impact public policy has on the framing of various uh, guidelines or uh, rules or legislations, or even it can help you identify the problems that you may want to want to resolve through a modification in public policy or the evolution of a public policy for a particular issue. So it's only when you're on the ground and you're uh, experiencing uh, the various either social or economic uh, issues that need to be addressed, that you will, uh, these questions will be apparent to you because if you don't know what the issues are on the ground, it's very difficult for you to think of the questions that you want to solve through public policy.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. So uh, internships for sure are very helpful.
0: And I guess also writing research papers on such topics will help,
1: right? Definitely. So, uh, writing of course public policy and writing are uh, almost inextricably uh, linked writing spreading your thoughts your ideas uh, thinking of the kind of questions you want to solve um, through your either your study in college or even your uh, field work whatever you see and if you're able to come, come across uh, to think and research and come up with a policy uh, or a solution for these issues That is uh, one of the starting points for, uh, you know, it to snowball into something bigger Hmm. Uh, and the evolution of maybe uh, a stronger public policy in to solve that particular problem. So writing definitely helps. Uh, Do you know any of the fellowships also in the sector? Yes. So there are actually um, quite a few fellowships, which various institutions offer. Uh, I can think of, and also these fellowships depend in their, uh, vary in their uh, scope and also the time mm. that they uh, that they run for. For example, there's a William Clinton Fellowship. Uh, there's also the Young India Fellowship. Um, there is There are also various universities that offer some uh, fellowships and opportunities. For example, again, the Ashoka University offers uh, a particular fellowship for, uh, uh, you know, in this regard. Um, then you can also work. Uh, if not, it's not, it may not strictly be a fellowship in the strict sense. But you can also work in um, NGOs or in institutions such as Teach for India and uh, things like that, where uh, you know it's not really like a fellowship, but you do get an opportunity to be exposed to these kind of uh, to these activities and to these uh, learnings.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and one which comes to my mind is uh, conducted by the PRS legislative. I mean, offered by the PRS legislative. Uh, it is known as LAMP fellowship, right?
1: LAMP The LAMP fellowship also. I think the LAMP fellowship, uh, it's, yeah, of course, since it's a fellowship, you can only do it after you've graduated. Hmm. Uh, I don't think there's an opportunity for you to do it while you're still studying in college. Uh, I think they require you to graduate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The LAMP fellowship. Also, an excellent uh, opportunity for you to, uh, you know, because you're in the seat of, you're at least you're very close to the seat of power that from which public policy emanates, uh, especially in the, again, like I mentioned, in the manifestation of legislations or rules or whatever, because you're with the people who are thinking about these things, right, and who also have the power to enact these things into law. So, yes, the Lamb Fellowship is also an excellent opportunity. Hmm.
0: Okay, so, uh, you know, uh, solving problems, writing, research, etc. All this is fine, but listeners, you can also make this as a full-time career. So, uh, Abhirup, can you just uh, throw some light on these? Like, what are the career opportunities for public policy enthusiasts?
1: Yes, so, public policy, you, you can have a very rich and rewarding career, a very fulfilling career it um, it is not as though that there is it's not as though there is nothing that you can do if you choose to focus on public policy there are a lot of things you can do the things that come to my mind are one is obviously trying to get into government okay uh, get into government think tanks get into government research uh, organizations get into try and get into government directly by being standing maybe for uh, you know office in different forms that is one thing you can do The second thing is also, uh, you can join various think tanks. There are different think tanks which do exceptional work, uh, where they need people who are constantly thinking about these things and who are writing about these things. So joining think tanks, contributing to the work they do, contributing to their research uh, is also something which you can do. Then of course, is also becoming a part of academia. You can join a university, join a college, you can influence so many younger minds. And of course, many universities also uh, come out with very detailed and comprehensive research, which in many occasions influences or is of, is of uh, pivotal use to the government. So that is another way where you can contribute.
0: Hmm. Uh,
1: so these are some of the ways, some of the different careers you can have uh, in, uh, in public policy.
0: And also you can go abroad. There are many international organizations
1: where you can work. For sure. I mean, public policy, while uh, for the most part during this conversation, we've been talking about it in the domestic sense, but even on a larger scale, you know, globally, there are so Mm. many global issues that require solving hunger, global poverty, uh, you know, which require people to think about these issues. Uh, You can join an international organization like the UN or different organs of the UN. Uh, maybe even the, the Red Cross, things like that, where they also think about these questions. It's not just about the work that they, uh, they're doing on the ground, but they're also thinking about how to mitigate or uh, uh, reduce the kind of problems that they are out there to help solve. Hmm. And for that, you can definitely contribute. Okay. So,
0: uh, the last question, which we usually have at the end of a podcast, is... Uh, can you share an incident from your career which is very memorable to you?
1: Uh, so, I, I mean, yeah, there, there have been many incidents. Uh, of course, for the last uh, two years, I've also been practicing as an advocate. Um, and prior to that at IIMB. I think at IIMB, one of the most interesting uh, uh, memories that I, one of my most favorite, favorite and interesting memories that I've had was this big conference that we helped organize. It was the 13th uh, International Conference on Public Policy, where the theme was inclusion and exclusion. Okay. And uh, we uh, organized, that was the first year, in fact, I, if I'm not wrong, that IMB wanted to organize this conference in New Delhi. Uh, it's usually done in Bangalore itself because IMB is in Bangalore. Hmm. But uh, in that particular year, we, they wanted to do it in Delhi. And it was a big event spread out for almost, I think, three or four days, where we all went to Delhi and uh, we called very, uh, you know, thinkers and researchers in different fields to understand how policy can be shaped to include more people. Obviously, since that was the theme, inclusion and exclusion, where we can take more people in the fold, bring them into society, and also look at how there may be policies or there may be legislations which are excluding people also this also is something which people may not come, uh, may not may not be apparent to people at first you know is there a rule or is there a policy that is excluding people that is not uh, taking them into consideration for mm. example persons with disability is something i can think of yeah right hmm. you know what are the laws that we have or the rules it needn't again when i whenever i say laws We have a tendency to think of some act of parliament or a state or a a state legislature, but come down to even smaller rules. Just take the ordinary metro, for example, you know, a metro rail system in a city. Hmm. Does that metro rail system have rules which provides for persons with disability? Do you have, have, has it made some sort of reasonable accommodations to, to, for persons with disabilities to access this uh, resource? Because it's not that these resources are only for people who are not visually impaired, or who are uh, not, uh, you know, who don't have any other disability, it's for everyone. Mm. So these people are also very much part of society. So how do these rules for a smaller institution of government, whether or not it's private or public or whatever, it's performing a public service, Have they accommodated or have they provided some accommodations for people who have disabilities? This is one vulnerable group. Then you can also think about uh, sexual minorities, you know, trans persons or uh, the LGBTQ community. How are they included or how are they excluded by public policy? Um, Similarly, children, you know, women, animals is another group. Uh, how does the law accommodate for these? Because these are all vulnerable groups. Animals can't speak. Animals can't fight for their rights. Does public policy exclude them in that in that particular way? Because they are also very much part of uh, may not be part of human society in the strict sense, but they are also part of this earth. You know. Uh, so how do um, so how do how does how does public policy account for all these uh, different groups? Mm. is one uh, thing. So that was what this conference was all about. It was very enriching. It was very stimulating. You got to meet so many interesting people. Uh, Of course, it involved uh, a trip to Delhi also, which was very interesting and which is in many ways the seat of uh, power when it comes to public policy because a lot of it emanates from there. Yeah. You know? Um, So that is perhaps one of my most uh, memorable experiences from my time at IMB. Of course, as an advocate, there are many. I've just been practicing for about two years. Uh, mm-hmm. but uh,
0: Yeah, and I think our some... listeners would be more interested in knowing uh, about your experiences in court. So <laughs> you can share one of them. Yeah.
1: In court, yeah. So of course, there are various... Um, I did have one situation where uh, I was representing a person who uh, was involved in a child marriage. And this person was married off as a child. And then when she became an adult, she realized about this, uh, about what had happened. And she wanted, she didn't want to really be in that marriage anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, She wanted it annulled. So that was a very memorable situation for me because in fighting for her case, we faced a lot of hurdles. We faced a lot of uh, uh, situations which stymied our activities in reaching her goal of getting her annulment there were people who opposed her petition there were people who said no she she has to be married it was a valid marriage of course she was a child it was not Um, so fighting for her in court was very enriching and very rewarding crossing those hurdles that were created by her family who would often threaten her and who would uh, you know try to do things to her trying to fight through all those Go fearlessly to court. Uh, also, I mean, not to make it about the lawyer, but also to make it about because this is about people who are actually facing these struggles. Right. Uh, fighting for them, uh, fighting for their causes, trying to get them justice uh, on a daily, on a on an almost daily basis is very enriching and very rewarding. Unfortunately, I can't go into too many details of that case. Uh, but the the gist of it was this: it was uh, um trying to get her marriage annulled because uh, she didn't want to be in it anymore and she was, uh, uh, you know, a child when that happened.
0: Mm, right. So you, like, you were able to do it? Like, you,
1: the case... You, you were able to do wanted. it, oh, sorry. Yeah. I forgot to mention the most important thing, the outcome. She succeeded. <laughs> she succeeded and uh, uh, she, she won that case. And now she uh, is no longer married to that individual. And... Um, she is like carrying on with her life now. Okay.
0: Nice to hear that. And uh, with that, we have come to the end of this episode. Uh, any final tips, Abihu? Uh
1: So that's, I mean, I hope uh, I was able to convey what I wanted to during this conversation. And if I wasn't, this is the simple truth that I've learned so far, at least in what I've been doing so far. It's to just truly really fight for what you believe in. Never give in. Uh, I'm not sure if some of your viewers have watched Justice Qureshi uh, speak uh, a couple of months ago on, you know, truly sticking to your beliefs and not giving in or not buckling under uh, pressure. Just fight through for what you believe in. Uh, it's a very rewarding profession to be a lawyer. It's uh, You get to do so many amazing things and you get to fight for so many uh, uh, interesting and, uh, you know, uh, true and just causes and you don't get to do that in many other professions so just keep fighting through it may seem difficult at first it may seem daunting but just keep pushing through because perseverance and hard work and believing in yourself are really important uh, aspects to have as a lawyer really important qualities to have as a lawyer That's
0: quite intense, but uh, it sounds good. (laughs) Thanks, Abhilup, for this wonderful conversation and sharing your experiences with us. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you liked this episode, then you must also check out other episodes available here and also follow us here so that you don't miss out any new episode. Thank you. Thanks so much, Prasad.